2: LCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app.
0: The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is
2: pre-recorded. While God oh. is doing oh, that to the wicked, he's going to also materially bless the righteous who, although they may be experiencing hard times right now, their hard times won't last forever because eventually God will meet their financial needs and bless them to the point that they'll have enough to share with others.
1: There is a natural human tendency, I think, to feel like our present condition will continue unchanged. Criminals think they will keep on getting away with it. When we are sick, we sometimes feel like we'll always be miserable. And when we're poor, we see no light at the end of the tunnel. And when we do see a light, we assume it's on the front of a locomotive. But in fact, as the old adage says, the only constant is change. God is gracious and He is generous, but His timing is often hard to understand. The godly and the humble will not always suffer at the hands of the wicked and ungodly. God does meet our needs, often abundantly, and there is a day coming when our infinitely wealthy Lord will share even more with His followers. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His expository, or verse-by-verse messages, are the backbone of these daily Bible lessons. We are in the midst of a series of lessons from Psalm 37. It's called, Fret Not Because of Evil Doers." I placed my trust in Christ for salvation back in 1969. In those days, it was popular to sell Christianity. We heard that when we gave our hearts to Jesus, He would make all our problems just go away. We would be better students, better parents, better bosses, better at everything. And Jesus would make our lives so much better that we would be fools to turn him down. So, what happened? Our friends dumped us, our co-workers laughed at us, our families called us Jesus freaks, and one of my friends who went to a private religious school got expelled for proselytizing. Not what we were led to believe. We should have listened to Jesus. In John fifteen nineteen, he said, IF YOU WERE OF THE WORLD, THE WORLD WOULD LOVE ITS OWN. BUT BECAUSE YOU ARE NOT OF THE WORLD, BUT I CHOSE YOU OUT OF THE WORLD, BECAUSE OF THIS THE WORLD HATES YOU. SO WE SHOULDN'T BE SURPRISED AT PERSECUTION, BUT WE SHOULD ALSO REMEMBER THAT WE HAVE A SAVIOR WHO PROMISED THAT THE GENEROSITY OF THE RIGHTEOUS WILL NOT GO UNREWARDED, EVEN IF WE SOMETIMES SUFFER AT THE HANDS OF THE WICKED. IF YOU CAN, OPEN YOUR BIBLE TO PSALM 37. HERE'S PASTOR STEVE.
2: NOW GOING BACK TO VERSE 21, THIS STATEMENT about the righteous being gracious and giving, generous. Folks, this is a profound statement by David. It's one that I think needs to be thought through and looked at from a number of angles. And the first angle being this, that we need to consider that the primary truth that David is teaching here is that God is gracious to bless believers with enough materially so that they can give some of it Away to others. This is a far cry from the believers uh, in David's day, what they were thinking. They were envious of the wicked, envious for their wealth while they were struggling financially. See, what David is telling them is that while the wicked may be prospering right now, their prosperity will not continue forever. Because God is going to someday intervene, He's going to judge them by making sure that their money like them will vanish so that eventually they'll be hurting financially to the point where they won't be able to pay back their debts. And by the same token, while God is doing that to the wicked, he's going to also materially bless the righteous, who although they may be experiencing hard times right now, their hard times won't last forever, because eventually God will meet their financial needs and bless them to the point that they'll have enough to share with others. Now, it seems to me, that this is the primary point that David is making. And it is a significant point because he is telling us that God will not only meet our needs, but that he will be so gracious, so generous in meeting our needs that he will give us sufficient funds so that we can be gracious and generous with others to help meet their needs. So I want us to consider further this truth, that God does meet our needs, and that he meets them generously. Once again, we're not talking about luxuries, although the Lord certainly can choose to give some of us luxuries. In fact, everybody in America, compared to the rest of the world, we live with luxuries. But this is not the health and wealth gospel. This is just God telling us he's faithful to meet our needs. Perhaps the best place to look at this truth about God's generosity to believers is in the New Testament. I'd like you to look at Philippians chapter because this principle is taught throughout Scripture, and it is especially taught here, surprisingly taught here, in Philippians chapter 4, and you'll see why in a moment. In Philippians chapter 4, which I have quoted for several weeks, Paul makes this astounding promise as the Holy Spirit guides him. He says, And my God, verse 19, will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, in this statement, the apostle assures these believers at the church of Philippi that God will supply all of their needs and that they don't need to worry about their needs being met. Why? Because God, he says, is infinitely wealthy and therefore he will share some of that wealth with them. He owns everything. Now, initially, this looks to be a universal promise made for all believers in Christ. But it's not. It's not. That's what may surprise you. Because if you look closely at the context, you'll realize that Paul has been commending this church, the people of this church, for being very loving, very thoughtful, very generous towards him. Notice, let's go back to verse 10. Now remember, when Paul wrote this, he's in jail. They're not sure exactly where he's at. They found him. And now we look at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity, meaning you didn't know where I was. How could you help me? But they found out. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Now, let me stop here and explain. When they found out where Paul was as a prisoner in Rome, they sent someone to meet his needs, monetarily, supplies, perhaps some, uh, some books, maybe uh, health issues. He needed perhaps some medicine, things like that. Whatever it was, that's what they did. So Paul says, not, not that I speak from want. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I've learned this. This is not a natural thing for any of us. Paul said, I learned the lesson of contentment. He writes, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then he says this very famous verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And let me stop here. This is not saying that if you're a mediocre athlete, you can expect to be a great athlete because Paul said you can do everything. No, this is simply Paul saying, I- I've learned that in every situation, God strengthens me. When I'm poor, he strengthens me. When I have a lot, he strengthens me. When I'm going through difficult times, he strengthens me. And I can do it all. I have his grace to do all. Everything necessary in all circumstances. He says in verse 14, having said that he is content, he is happy, he has enough. He says, nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. It's a good thing. Even though I'm content, even though I don't need what you sent me because I've learned to be content, it's a good thing. So even though Paul says he's content with what he has, he doesn't actually need what they gave him. He's content, but they've done the right thing. Let's, let's read on. Verse 15, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, that's where the church at Philippi was. It was in a region known as Macedonia. No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Now, can you imagine that? No church was thoughtful enough to say, you know, I'll bet this man has some needs. He's given us the gospel. Let's give him something he said, only you, only you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. This was a church that was thoughtful and generous and sensitive to Paul. Now he says, he doesn't want to be misunderstood, verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself. He said, I'm not not ministering to get anything from you. He said, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. I seek your reward and glory for being so generous. But I have received everything, verse 18, everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, that's the man they sent him, what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. It's well-pleasing to the Lord. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you see what Paul is saying? He says that the Philippians were the only church that was thoughtful and generous with him so as to supply him with money and provisions. Now, keep in mind what he's saying. He's saying to this thoughtful, generous, sensitive, gracious church that those who were so generous to supply his needs can count on God being generous to them to supply all of their needs. That is to say, God's promise of generosity is not a blanket promise that covers every Christian, but it's a promise only for those Christians who are generous with others. Now, God will meet our needs, but generosity of God is dependent on us being generous with others. Now, David says in Psalm 37 that the righteous will be blessed by God, that they will have enough to give to others. The implication is that they are generous themselves, that they are giving. As I said before, it doesn't mean that all believers will be wealthy by the world's standards, but it certainly means that we will have sufficient funds to be generous in sharing those funds with others. However, while we wish we could say that every Christian is generous with their money, we all know that that's not the case. There are far too many Christians who are not generous with others. They think only of themselves. They are greedy. They may call it being frugal, but they are greedy and penny-pinching to the point that they don't ever think about being generous with others. And whether they realize it or not, stinginess is a horrible testimony for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who has been so generous with us, who is so gracious in giving salvation to us and all the blessings that come with it. For example, do you realize the terrible reputation that the Sunday church crowd has amongst waiters and waitresses in restaurants? I've heard this from waiters and waitresses, some saved and some unsaved. Church people, on Sundays especially, are known to be very demanding to their servers while being very poor tippers if they tip at all. These servers see you praying, your heads are bowed, they assume you're praying, they hear you talk about church that you've just come out of, and they assume that you're a Christian. And then to get a very poor tip from you, or worse, a poor tip with the gospel tract, is a great turnoff to the gospel. What kind of a server would be interested in learning about your Savior, if that's how you represent him? Listen, for a few dollars, just a few bucks... Even if you have to over tip and go beyond the customary percentage guidelines for tipping, think of the impact a large tip might make for Christ. Is it not worth it? Now, one of the excuses that Christians often give for not being generous is that, well, you have to be wealthy to be generous. That generosity is only for those who make so much money that they can easily afford to give some of it away. That's not true. That's not true. And that's not what David is saying in Psalm 37. He's not teaching, as I said, the health and wealth gospel as if God's will is that we all be in good health and we all be very wealthy. He's simply saying that God blesses us with enough so that we can share some of what we have with others who have legitimate needs. I'm not talking about being foolish and giving to people who are going to run out and, and do horrible things with the money. Legitimate needs. In fact, many believers... In fact, if you go around the world, most believers are on the poor side. But according to the word of God, they still have enough to share with others. How do I know that? Well, the best example of this is the Philippians themselves. These people who were so very generous with, with Paul because not only were they poor, they were dirt poor, dirt poor, yet they graciously gave. How do we know this? Well, let's turn to Second Corinthians chapter 8. I want to read to you the first few verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I want to let you know that the people that Paul is writing about, the churches of Macedonia, the Philippians are included in that. They were one of those churches in that region known as Macedon. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Now, the background behind these verses is that Paul wanted the Corinthians, that's the church that he was writing to, to be generous and to take up a collection of money for the church at Jerusalem, whose members were presently in deep financial trouble. You see, the Jewish believers of the Jerusalem church were faced with some serious economic problem. So, Paul, being aware of the severe physical and financial needs facing the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, he was burdened to instruct predominantly Gentile churches, like those in the region of Macedon, in this church in the city of Corinth, to collect money for them. Now, a closer look at these Macedonian Christians reveals some very significant things about them, and Paul is presenting them as an example to the church at Corinth. Be like them. Be like them in generosity. First thing Paul does is speak about the grace of God, he says, which has been given in the churches of Macedon or Macedonia. Now, why does he mention the grace of God? And What does he mean by that? He's simply referring to the salvation of these Macedonian Christians because they were saved by grace. That's what he's talking about, their conversion. And his purpose in bringing up the grace of God in their lives is to point out that grace, salvation, conversion has radically affected them. It's impacted every area of their lives. They are changed, they're transformed. God's grace in salvation has transformed their character so that they had become generous with their money as demonstrated by their liberal giving to the poor Jewish Christians at Jerusalem. Truth is, by nature, no one is born generous. No one is born generous by nature. No one is born thoughtful of others. In Titus chapter 3, he actually says that in our unregenerate state, we are haters of one another. So no one's born generous, no one is born thoughtful, especially towards complete strangers. It takes the work of God, takes the grace of God in our lives to transform us from being self-absorbed, stingy tightwads who think only about spending money on ourselves into people who now share our money with others expecting nothing in return. Now that's what happens when you are converted. See, the Bible teaches that one of the distinguishing marks of a true believer is that he shares his physical resources with others. That's part of the grace of God demonstrated in their lives. In fact, Ephesians 4, verse 28 says this He who steals must steal no longer. If you were a thief before you were converted, stop it. Don't do it anymore. You put that off, that's all man behavior. Pre-salvation behavior, but rather now that you're saved, Paul says he must labor, performing with his own hands what's good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. He's to work hard, make enough money, take care of his own needs. The implication, of course, from other scriptures, take care of your family's needs, but give to others. He'll have something to share with one who has need. That's just part of the Christian life. And John tells us in 1 John three, seventeen and 18, whoever has the world's goods sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? The implication is it doesn't. And John adds, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in deed and truth. That is to say, don't just tell somebody you love them and say, I'll pray for you as you shiver in the cold and have nothing to eat but do something about it. Now, why is generosity such a telling evidence of conversion? I mean, it's not the only evidence, but it is a significant one. Listen closely. Because when God saves us, he begins to conform us to the very character and nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ, by nature, is absolutely generous and self-giving the supreme statement in the Bible on the generosity of Christ, it's found in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is his grace, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul is saying that although Jesus was rich in glory, in the sense that before his incarnation... He was in the form of God and as such possessed all the glory, the power, the honor, the majesty of deity. He became poor by becoming a man. And while he never ceased to be God, he became the God-man, Jesus did give up all those divine riches that he had while in the form of God. So that at salvation... We who are absolutely bankrupt, destitute spiritually, we become spiritually wealthy by possessing all of the unsearchable riches in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are to be generous with our money because Jesus has been generous with us. And he is in the process, this is progressive sanctification of transforming our character to become like his and that character is generous. Now, I want you to notice something else about these Macedonian believers. Verse 2 of chapter 8. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. I find that these, these words are a bit awkward. A bit awkward. But essentially, what Paul is saying is that the circumstances under which these people gave these... Macedonian believers, these Philippians, it was very difficult. He called this time when they gave a great ordeal of affliction. At the time, they were afflicted. No doubt it's a reference to severe persecution at the hands of unbelievers. Secondly, in addition to suffering persecution, we read that these Christians were extremely poor, and that's what I want you to see. Paul mentions their deep poverty. Not just poverty, deep poverty, which means that they were dirt poor. This specific Greek word that he uses here for deep means down to the depth. It means rock bottom. It means as low as it gets. You can't get any lower. And the specific word that the apostle uses for poverty describes the lowest form of poverty, of having nothing, of being completely destitute. When Paul says that these Macedonian Christians were poor, he's acknowledging that they had hit rock bottom economically. And yet, in spite of being physically afflicted, in spite of being financially depleted, he says that they were generous in giving to the relief of the poor believers in Jerusalem. And watch this. They gave with great joy in their hearts. He says their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Simply put, folks, this means that in spite of having to scrape the bottom of the barrel, these poor Christians gave joyfully, and they gave generously.
1: Proverbs 22, 4 says, The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. The people in the churches in Macedonia demonstrated real godly wisdom in their willingness to share what little they had. An open hand works both ways. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, a a one-verse-at-a-time study with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We invite you, if you're in town on a Sunday, to stop in for a visit. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. And for more information, the website is lakesidechapel.com. If you have questions about Lakeside or how to know if you have eternal life, call 727-441-1714. I'd like to take a moment to thank the many listeners who help fund these broadcasts. While Verse by Verse is a direct ministry of Lakeside, we depend in large part on additional gifts to cover production costs and airtime. We can't do this without you, your prayers, and your gifts. Thank you. If maybe the Lord is speaking to you about becoming a supporter, you can call the number I gave earlier. It's 727-441-1714. Or visit versebyverseradio.org and click the giving link on the home page. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I hope you've been as encouraged as I've been by this series from Psalm 37 Fret not because of evildoers. Are you compassionate in giving to the poor? It takes a certain amount of courage to let go of what might seem like limited resources. But if we're serious about trusting God, this psalm compels us to take a more courageous course with our giving. If God says give, do you think He'll let you down? Next time on Verse by Verse, we'll consider, among other things, David's words in verses 23 and 24 of this wonderful psalm. He said, The steps of a man are established